Welcome to Freshly Squeezed True Crime, a Florida-only comedy podcast. I'm Suhaley. I'm Renee. So, Suhaley, when this episode releases, it'll be two weeks after Labor Day, and you're spending Labor Day here with everybody. So, how do you think it was? It was great. It was great to catch up with everyone and be here and not have to work on something. That's probably how it'll be. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, so am I. So, you have a question to ask me? Yeah. Yeah? How are you? Not, I meant like... Are you ready to squeeze the juice? I know. (laughs) I was being a smart ass. (laughs) So, Renee, you got something to ask me? So, Sue Haley. Yeah? Are you ready to squeeze the juice? Always. Awesome. What are we talking about? So, this episode does discuss children. However, not like the baby lollipops case. Um, There is talk about sex with children, inappropriate relations with children. Um, So, this is your disclaimer that this may be a tough episode to listen to are we going into details or just no. saying the words just okay. saying the words so jared fogel was born in indianapolis indiana on august 23rd 1977 to norman and Idrine fogel he was a younger brother he has a younger brother and sister he was raised in a jewish home he had a bar mitzvah while on a trip to israel and then confirmed by his conservative con- reconstructionist synagogue in 1995, Fogel graduated from North Central High School in Indianapolis. He graduated from Indiana University Bloomington in 2000 and then worked briefly in the Revenue Management Department at America Trans Air. Trans, as in all of Lou Pearlman's companies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's all we know about his early years. Career. So, the subway campaign. Fogel first came to media attention in April 1999 via an article published in the Indiana Daily Student written by a former doormate of Fogel losing 245 pounds by exercising and eating a diet of Subway sandwiches. Subsequently, Fogel was featured in Men's Health magazine in an article titled Stupid Diets at Work. So did he actually lose all that weight just eating Subway? Yes. Was it proven? Because according to the article, Fogel had become obese at point at one point weighing 425 oh, pounds. Wow. Through lack of exercise and eating junk food. Fogel changed his eating habits upon the switch to eating at Subway, replacing his 10,000 calorie per day food consumption with one small turkey subs, baked chips, and a Diet Coke for lunch, and one large veggie sub for dinner, again, with baked chips and a Diet Soda, totaling 2,000 calories per day. Wow. That's it. That's all he was eating. And then he was walking everywhere. A Chicago-area Subway franchise took Fogel's story to Subway's Chicago-based advertising agency. As a test, the company ran a regional television advertising campaign, the first ad aired January 1st, 2000, introducing Fogel and his story with the following disclaimer. The subway diet combined with a lot of walking work for Jared. We're not saying this is for everyone. You should check with your doctor before starting any diet program, but it worked for Jared. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you did that like a commercial disclaimer. That's great. Thank I, you. Thank you. I got skills. When so, did you start saying Jared from Subway? It became, so it started really small in just that area, mm-hmm. but it picked up because the introductory test ads were successful. Fogel subsequently appeared in more television commercials as well as sponsored in-store appearances throughout the United States. He gave talks on the benefit of fitness and healthy eating. In 2002, Fogel was the subject of an episode of South Park titled, Jared Has AIDS. Fogel... <laughs> <laughs> 
I know where this is going, so the <laughs> fact that he was on South Park is disturbing. Exactly. <laughs> Fogel has stated that while the episode has typically tasteless humor, the fact that an entire episode was devoted to him was very flattering. He added, you know you've made it when shows like South Park start parodying you. Fogel also appeared in the 2017 video game South Park, the franchise but whole as a boss. This occurred after his child pornography conviction. Hmm. In February 2008, a subway campaign called Tour de Pants celebrated Fogel maintaining his weight loss for a decade. As part of the campaign, Fogel made an announcement that he would retire his pair of 62-inch pants to a museum at the end of the advertising tour. Wow. Beginning in 2008, Fogel's presence in subway advertisement decreased due to the company's placing a new emphasis on the $5 foot-long promotion. Like they were still using him, but they mm-hmm. were really pushing the five, five dollar, five dollar foot, foot long. Oy. Fogel's story, Fogel's role in Subway afforded him some other great opportunities, such as appearing on WWE in 2009 and 2011. I put that in there because, you know, Cause I love you're a fan because I love me some wrestling. I'm I a dork. Uh, By 2013, Fogel had filmed more than 300 commercials and continued to make appearances and speeches for the company. Subway attributed one-third to one-half of its growth in sales to Fogel, with revenue having tripled from 1998 to 2011. Damn. Fogel made an appearance... In Sharknado film series. Really? Have you ever watched the Sharknados? No, it's on my list because okay. I, I recently got into like stupid movies <laughs> I that I think are hilarious. It used to be that I thought they were so stupid, but now I'm like, I fucking love stupid So, movies. exactly. And it's one of those where it's so stupid, you just laugh at the stupidity of it. That's what I'm so, doing So, yes, I have seen the Sharknado film series. Mm-hmm. He appeared in Sharknado 2, the second one. He made a cameo appearance in Sharknado 3. Oh, hell No. Though this was cut from a sci-fi channel broadcast version a week before the premiere when his house was searched by the F, the B, and the I. Oh, so he didn't actually make yep. it in. So he, he filmed... Was he still in the second one, though? Yes. Okay. But he, um, the parts of him that were in three, they were totally cut off the week before it was supposed to come out. That makes sense. So, the Jared Foundation. In 2004, Fogel established the Jared Foundation, a nonprofit organization focused on raising awareness about childhood obesity through educational programs and tools provided to parents, schools, and community organizations. He met Russell Taylor when Taylor was the youth market director for the American Heart Association. Fogel was speaking at three elementary schools and asked Taylor to write him a keynote speech he had to give in Illinois. After that, Fogel began to contact Taylor to help him with future events. In August 2015, a USA USA Today article reported that Jared's foundation had not issued any grants nor had it given any funds for its stated purpose. The article further noted that on average, the foundation spent $73,000 a year, with the majority of that figure paying the salary of foundation executive director. More than one quarter of the funds were unaccounted for per the foundation's tax records. The Secretary of State of Indiana dissolved the organization in February 2012 because it did not pay the required $5 annual reporting fees during the two previous years, despite being requested to do so on multiple occasions. So you ain't got $10? No. To pay this? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's really what we're talking about right Right. he had to pay the five dollar annual reporting fee two years in a row my sir 
whatever. Daniel Borishoff, a president uh, of the nonprofit charity watchdog group Charity Watch, so original, right? Mm-hmm. Was quoted by USA Today as saying, if Jared was really interested in helping children through his foundation, he could have gotten more money. As with a lot of celebrities, the charity appears to be more about image enhancement than charitable deeds. So it was just there just to say he had a foundation, but he wasn't doing jack squat with it. Lots of people do that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Especially celebrities. Yeah. Some people like to join volunteer organizations just for the prestige and the title and to exactly. say that they did it. Exactly. But they don't do jack squat with it. Or better yet, they make it worse. <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'm feeling some sort of way today. The okay. work is there. Okay. So, so, But you're doing more than Jared did. Oh, so good for you. When I tell you what Jared did, you won't feel that way. At what point did he get married and have kids? Does he already have them at this point? Here we go. Well, he was married, then divorced, and we're about to go into his second marriage. Okay, cool. So, legal history. The woman who caught Jared Fogle and the Florida connection. It's very loosely a Florida connection. Oh, this is a loose case. It's she loose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Here's the thing. So, as we all know... In order for me to decompress, I either watch trashy reality shows. Yes, or about us. You went yes. into the housewives. Or thing. oh my god, I love them so much. I know. Or I watch trashy like um, docu series on like Netflix and uh-huh. Hulu. So a couple of weekends ago, I watched the Jared docu series, uh-huh. and it was so freaking good. And I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, the woman pops up, and she's a Sarasota. Um, a reporter, uh-huh. I jumped out of bed. I'm like, oh my God, it's a Florida case. <laughs> I do that too when I'm watching things. I know, kind of like if I hear like a horror story, I'm like, oh my God, please let it be Florida. <laughs> Just so that I have a case to Just cover. Just so we can cover it. Exactly. So, in 2007, Fogel came to the attention of state and federal law enforcement agencies after Sarasota, Florida journalist and radio host Rochelle Herman Waldred told the Sarasota Police Department he made lewd comments to her about middle school-aged girls. Mm. She had met Fogel in 2006 at a local middle school for a health event. As he was in Sarasota for the speaking tour and she was hosting a local radio program devoted to health issues, she said he had an ego, but it was a good interview. After the radio interview, he flirted with her, and during that conversation, she let him know that her daughter wanted to meet him. He agreed, and she later took pictures of both of them. At the television interview, things got dark. So basically, they had a radio interview first, Mm -hmm. and then she was supposed to do a TV interview with him. Mm -hmm. So, Fogel, who had gone through a divorce recently, amped up his flirting and even tried to hold her hand. Right before the interview started, he whispered in her ear that he thought middle school girls were quote-unquote hot. That's gross. Rochelle was shaken by the interaction and just tried to get through the interview. Later, when she ruminated about his comments, she realized that he had a lot of access to children because of his motivational speaking gigs at schools. So... She resolved to do the right thing. Uh Herman Waltrid was shocked when Fogel made the remark about his attraction to middle schoolers. This individual must be caught. Troubled by this admission, she followed what she called her journalistic instincts and befriended Fogel with the goal of finding out more about his apparent attractions to minors. He would talk about what he would like to do to children, what he would like children to do to him. It was very creepy and very scary. 
She made recordings of Fogel's remarks and saved text messages between them and then went to the F, the B, and the I. However, she found herself in a bind. She was technically committing a crime in recording him because Florida is a two-party consent state, which means both parties have to be aware that they are being recorded. She faced the possibility of felony charges and that the tapes that she gave them would not hold up in court. But according to her, the FDB and the I wanted her to continue secretly recording him. The difference was that she had to read from scripts and become an undercover asset for the FDB and the I. Rochelle befriended Fogel and for the next four years, surreptitiously recorded her conversations with him as part of an ongoing federal investigation. Wow. She would meet with federal agents in the middle of the night at abandoned parking lots to give them the tapes she had recorded that day. So she had to record the conversations Mm -hmm. and then transcribe them. And at the end of the day, she had to meet them somewhere to give it to them. Wow. She recorded him making several remarks about having sex with underage girls. Fogel asked which of her children's friends she thought were pretty hot and cute. She mentioned several children whose identities she had just made up, including a fictitious seven-year-old girl from a quote-unquote broken home Uh. that she said Fogel singled out as a quote-unquote definite possibility and asking her to install a webcam in her children's rooms so she can watch them. At one point, Fogel suggested flying to Thailand. If we're going to try to get some young kids with us, it would be so much easier, he said, in one of the recorded conversations. Ugh. Well, you know, it's legal over there. Well, child exactly. It's so fucking gross. The stress affected her work, her health, and her family. One day, her daughter found her diary detailing her conversations with him. She resolved that she needed to put a stop to this and catch him. She worked together with the after being the eye to set up a fake birthday party for her son in order to lure him into the sting. She then had to talk to him about repulsive things he wanted to do, including preying on the most vulnerable. He even asked her to offer up her own children to him. This felt like a shot to the heart as they were only 10 and 11 years old. She found it very difficult to hold it together, but was determined to finish what she had started. Unfortunately, the stink fell apart when Fogel changed his travel plans and the FB and the I couldn't work with the timeline. Ultimately, the FB and the I could not pursue a case against Fogel using those recordings because they needed more substance evidence against him. I had to be two separate people in order to continue on with this investigation, she said. It's something that has changed me forever. And when you watch the show, like you, you see it, you know, first of all, she has, she know her kids no longer talk to her. Her son doesn't even live in this country anymore. Why? Like it really, it really damaged their relationship. But she didn't, did she ever introduce? No. So how did well they- the daughter did meet Jared? Remember, she made the comment of, "Oh my god, yeah, my yeah, go- yeah." But but he right never, yeah, but he never like did anything with them. So I'm not understanding what happens. But okay, okay. So this section is entitled Russell fucking Taylor. Okay. Because I'm aggressive. I don't know who Russell fuck Russell fucking. Remember, Taylor. Russell Taylor was the guy that was in charge of his foundation. Oh right. He they met when he was working at the American Heart Association. Okay. So, Russell fucking Taylor. The, the F, the B, and the I rated... How do you do that every time, the F, the B, and the I? Because I got skills. <laughs> kind of like when I read you that the disclaimer about eating Subway sandwiches to lose weight. 
<laughs> they raided Taylor's home initially in search of bestiality films, stemming from texts between him and a female friend about her running a male horse farm and him asking to borrow a horse to engage in sex. Taylor claims the texts were part of a running joke between the two. Because it's haha funny, right? No. On April 29th, 2015, Russell Taylor, the director of the Jared Foundation, was arrested at his Indianapolis home on charges of child exploitation, possession of child pornography, and voyeurism. Fogel severed all ties with him immediately following the arrest. Taylor attempted suicide on May 6, 2015 at the Marion County Jail and was placed on life support. Taylor pled guilty to the charges on September 1, 2015, and on December 10, 2015, he was sentenced to 25 years in federal prison. During his sentencing, he begged for leniency, holding back tears. He apologized to the victims and asked the judge to not allow me to rot in a landfill of lost souls. With a lengthy prison term, but Judge Tanya Walton Pratt gave Taylor more than the 15 to 23 years that his attorneys had asked for as part of the plea agreement. So basically at one point in the plea agreement, he was supposed to get between 15 and 23. Mm-hmm. She said, fuck it. She gave him 25. Okay. The next sentence literally says this motherfucker. <laughs> Clearly <laughs> I was feeling some sort of way when I wrote this. You know, when I look at your show notes, I often see like things bolded or highlighted. <laughs> like that's great. Yeah. <laughs> This motherfucker had the nerve to say he has been falling asleep in a puddle of tears every night since his arrest and told the judge she has never had a prisoner stand in her court more remorseful than I am today. Fuck off. Right. Mm -hmm. Investigators say Russell Taylor secretly recorded images of 12 children ages 9 to 15, including family members from March 11th through April 2015 in his home and then shared the images with Fogel. In court documents, Taylor admitted to using hidden cameras to produce child porn. Taylor said because he traveled so often with Fogel, he had set up cameras in his home to make sure that nothing was ever taken. So he was saying that the cameras weren't there to pick up porn. The cameras were there as a safety measure for all the times that I'm traveling with Jared. Okay. Mm-hmm. He said it started by accident when a security camera captured a sexual encounter in his office. The incident, by the way, was a teenager family friend had been doing work at the home and engaged in a sexual act with the male in the view of the cameras upon reviewing the footage. So basically, the camera was in the living room and there was a female friend there and a male and they got it on. Mm-hmm. He, he, he and ha ha about it and showed it to Jared. That's how all this started. It all started by accident. Yeah. And then it wasn't. And then it wasn't. Exactly. Okay. After telling Fogel, I know, when he mentioned it to Fogel, Fogel demanded to watch the video. After telling Fogel about the accidental tape, he said that Fogel encouraged him to hide nanny cams in other areas where minors would be when either changing clothes or undressing to shower or bathe. Taylor also states Fogel was psychologically abusive, referring to himself as Taylor's daddy. There would be discussions of how much Mr. Taylor loved daddy and reminding him that daddy was paying for things. For example, Fogel would say, who's paying for this stuff? And Taylor would answer, you are daddy. 
That's so... What the... Why are there so many fucking angles to that? Why do I pick the creepiest, nastiest cases to cover? It's not just like one... No. Fogel and Taylor would travel the country to promote healthy living to school children while seeking out strippers and prostitutes. Not my words. It was in the article. Mm -hmm. Taylor claims that low self-esteem and family instability left him with a highly sexualized lifestyle. Taylor also claims Jared Fogel pressured him to drink heavily while they traveled together. Jared made me drink all the time. He we drink like fishes when we were out. He paid more for wine in a year than he paid me to work for him. <laughs> he made me do it. I know. Taylor began going to therapy in 2012 to, among other things, address significant problems with being assertive in a healthy manner with my boss. <laughs> Maybe I need this class. Um, Fogel flew Taylor to a Colts Patriots game in Providence, Rhode Island. Following the game, the pair went to the Foxy Lady Strip Club. I, okay. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a cute name. It sounds like straight out of the 70s. I like I could it. hear the 70s porn music Foxy. in the background. What was the there was a song Foxy? <laughs> yes. <Made it>. A strip. <laughs> A stripper came back with us to the champagne room, and Jared said, if you can convince her to come back to our hotel room, I will pay you. Taylor said he was able to convince the woman to come back. She has sex with both of us. That that began our 12-year run. Taylor says he first became aware of Fogel's sexual interest in children the day after he met him. Mm -mm. Like, this was not, like, year nine of 12. This was right after... Mr. Hi, I'm Jared. I like to I fuck kids. children. How about you? Mr. Taylor recalled that Mr. Fogel made an inappropriate knock-knock joke, which referenced having sex with children, and that he just laughed it off. If you remember, Jared has a history of this, mm-hmm. because he had just met Rochelle, mm-hmm. and while he was flirting with her in the initial contact, he told her the same shit. Like, he was just sloppy. How fucking gross was he with other people that didn't even say Everyone. Like, this is I know. everyone. Taylor said he learned that if I laughed at the jokes and comments, if I went along with him, if I let it pass and be okay with it, no harm, no foul. Taylor says he and Fogel frequently picked up women while they were on the road. We would go to a bar and a woman would know who he was. We would go to a party with them, have sex with them. We were always aware of the age of consent. By the way, in Indiana is 16. Taylor says around 2008, Fogel became more serious about kids. Taylor claims Fogel asked him to get roofies, the date rape drug, uh-huh. to drug kids. He had he had me text poor people and offer them money to get pictures of their children. That's so gross. He wanted me to drug kids to knock them out so he could touch them. Jared wanted me to set him up with kids. He wanted me to set up all the sexual stuff online, including access to porn sites in my name. But then he would pay the bill. Everything was in my name. Taylor recalled Jared would say, Daddy needs some pictures. Taylor claims that even though Fogel knew he was a glut, he was gluten intolerant, he would make me eat gluten, like donuts and pizza. He was cruel. You can't make, so- like, unless he was shoving it down his throat and holding it, you cannot make somebody eat donuts and pizza. Donuts and pizza sounds really good right now, it by the way. It does. Taylor claims he rationalized his behavior, thinking that by sharing child pornography with Fogel, Jared's quote-unquote fantasies wouldn't evolve into pedophile in real life. 
Taylor said Fogel would make me promises about my future, his plans to pay me six figures. The last 10 years have been about me keeping me out of him, me and him out of trouble. Taylor denied being sexually attracted to children, but admitted that he was engaging in a swing lifestyle with his wife and other couples, as well as orgies. Taylor claims he was part of a swingers club. Psychologists who examined Taylor determined he has dependent personality disorder characterized by a pervasive psychological dependence on other people. This was obviously after yeah. he went to prison. I get that. However, during the investigation into Russell Taylor's child pornography operation, authorities discovered that Taylor had traded sexually explicit photos and videos of children, some as young as six, with Fogel. Taylor, who was sentenced to the 25 years, as I mentioned earlier, was later named an unindicted co-conspirator conspirator in the FBI and the ICE case against Fogel. What we found in Russell Taylor's home and on his computer led us to Jared Fogel, said Tim Horty. What a last name. A spokesman for the United States Department of Justice. On July 7th, 2015, the FBI and the I and the Indiana State Police investigators raided Fogel's Zionsville, Indiana home and arrested him on distribution and receipt of child pornography charges. Computers and other electronic equipment were removed from his home. That same day, a spokesman for a subway announced that the company and Fogel had mutually agreed to suspend their business relationship. Subsequently, Subway removed all references to Fogel from its website. Them bitches wasted no fucking time. Good Lord. They said, we done done. That's disgusting. Following Fogel's arrest, the FBI also subpoenaed a series of text messages made in 2008 between Fogel and Subway franchisee Cindy Mills, with whom he was having a sexual relationship with at the time. Remember, he was married. Uh-huh. In these messages, Fogel texts about sexually abusing children ranging in age from 9 to 16, told her to sell herself for sex on Craigslist, and asked her to arrange for him to have sex with his 16-year-old cousin. Mills' lawyer said that she had alerted Subway's corporate management about the text messages, but that they had responded that because Fogel was not a Subway employee, there was no violation. Subway representatives said they had no record of Mills' allegations. Okay. Remember I said a third to half of their income was generated uh-huh. during the years that he was their spokesperson. Right. Assistant U.S. Attorney Stephen DeBroda said he would travel around the U.S. for Subway, but when he's not in public, Jared Fogel spent $12,000 a year on sex workers. Then he would ask if if those people had access to any underage prostituted minors. That's so fucking gross. Plea agreement. So remember I said he was arrested in July, July 7th. On August 19th, okay. 2015, literally, I mean, this shit happened f- literally in my show notes. I mean, this shit happened fast. Only 43 days. Uh-huh. Federal prosecutors announced that they had reached a deal with Fogel in which he would plead guilty to two counts. One of distribution and receipt of child pornography and one of traveling to engage in illicit sexual conduct with the minor, specifically from Indiana to New York City, where he was charged with paying to engage in sexual acts with a 70-year-old girl. Prosecutors allege that Fogel offered adult prostitutes a finder's fee to to find him younger and younger sex partners. According to documents released by the federal prosecution, 
Fogel had also agreed to pay a total of $1.4 million in restitution, so $100,000 to each victim. Fogel faced up to 50 years in prison, and he had, uh, he had gone to trial. However, as part of the plea agreement, which was not binding by the sentencing judge, prosecutors agreed to seek no more than 12 and a half years. In return, Fogel agreed to a minimum sentence of five years. Soon after the plea deal was announced, Subway, via Twitter that it had completely severed ties with Fogel. As a condition of his plea deal, Fogel would be restricted to supervised contact or communication with minors upon approval of his probation officer. Supervised visits with his own children would be allowed only with the approval of their mother, Fogel's soon-to-be ex-wife, Katie McLaughlin. Fogel had already made a request to visit his two children in September, but McLaughlin con contested it. Upon release from prison, Fogel will be required to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life and undergo treatment for sexual disorders. On November 19, 2015, Fogel formally pled guilty before Judge Tanya Walton-Pratt, the same uh, federal judge that sentenced uh, Taylor. In a statement, Fogel apologized for his crimes, saying that he wanted a chance to become a good, honest person and redeem his life. After being ensnared in a life of deception, lies, and complete self-centeredness, according to John Bradford, a forensic psychiatrist who testified for Fogel's defense team, Fogel suffered from a compulsive eating disorder for several years before losing all the weight and replaced food with a sense of hypersexuality, which included mild or weak pedophilia. What the fuck is weak pedophilia? I, I have no idea. <clears throat> That diagnosis was not accepted by experts in the psychiatry field and was criticized by Pratt and on social media. Liberty Behavioral Health Corp. psychologist Adam Deming suggested that Bradford had meant to say that Fogel's primary sexual attraction was to early teens, but that he had lesser attraction to younger children. Pratt sentenced Fogel to 15 years and eight months in prison, over three years more than what prosecutors had sought with two, three times what Fogel had requested. So Fogel asked for five. His team wanted uh, 10, a uh, 12, excuse me, and he got 15 because math be mathing. Pratt stated that the level of perversion and lawlessness exhibited by Mr. Fogel is extreme. Fogel must serve a minimum of 13 years before becoming eligible for time off with good behavior. After serving his sentence, he will be on supervised release for the rest of his life. Pratt also fined him $175,000 and ordered him to forfeit $50,000 in assets for a total of $225,000 in addition to the $1.4 million restitution. So my man's going to be broke. Fogel's lawyer, Ron Ellingberg, filed a notice of appeal on December 14, 2015. Fogel is able to appeal the sentence since it is longer than the maximum sentence recommended by the prosecution. The appeal's brief was due January 25, 2016, but Fogel asked for an extension for his appeal after Ellingberg was diagnosed with cancer. That was his attorney. The extension was granted. After the appeal was filed, the U.S. Attorney's Office responded by opposing any sentence reduction. The office cited Fogel's text messages to women, and Fogel stated he would pay you big for a 14- or 15-year-old and that underage girls are what I crave. So fucking disgusting. In these text messages, he also expressed sexual interest in young boys. On June 9, 2016, Fogel's sentence was upheld by the United States Court of Appeals in the 17th Circuit. 
incarceration. Oh, I like this part. Fogel's lawyers recommended that he serve his sentence at Federal Correction Institute Inglewood near Littleton, Colorado. It has a program for sex offenders. Judge Pratt agreed with the recommendation, but she had no authority to determine where Fogel would serve his sentence. And that's what most people don't understand. When a judge sentences you, they can make a recommendation, Mm -hmm. but ultimately the Department of Corrections is the one that decides where you go. Okay. On November 21st, 2015, Fogel arrived at Henderson County, Kentucky, not Colorado, detention center (laughs) where he was held on a temporary basis. Fogel entered Federal Bureau of Prisons custody, going to the Federal Transfer Center, Oklahoma, on 12-15-15. Three days later, he was transferred to Englewood. Fogel's Bureau of Prisons number is 12919-028, and his earliest possible release is March 24, 2029. In March 2016, Fogel was assaulted by another inmate, Stephen Nag. Registered number 1089689, in case you want to send him a thank you note. (laughs) (laughs) The attack left Fogel with a bleedy nose, swollen face, and scratches on his neck. Nig was then transferred to Federal Transfer Center in Oklahoma City before being transferred again to El Paso, Texas. So when they're in federal prison, they could go anywhere in the country. Right. Like, there's just no telling. On November 8, 2017, Pratt dismissed a motion filed by Fogel, who was hoping to overturn his convictions by stating that the federal court did not have jurisdiction to convict him. She also dismissed another motion filed on his behalf of Fogel by a fellow inmate, Frank Pat, stating that the court does not have jurisdiction because Fogel's status as a proposed sovereign citizen. Do you know what a sovereign citizen is? Yes. Okay. So for those that don't know, because... They come up a lot and people make assumptions of what a sovereign citizen is. So I do define it. The sovereign citizen movement is a loose group grouping of litigants, activists, tax protesters, financial scheme promoters, and conspiracy theorists who claim to be answerable only to their particular interpretations of the common law and believe that they are therefore not subject to any government status or proceedings unless they consent to it. The movement, which appeared in the early 1970s, is American in origin, thanks America, (laughs) and exists primarily in the United States. Mm -hmm. So it's homegrown, though it has expanded to other countries. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) The Freedom on the Land movement, an offshoot of the Sovereign Citizens movement with similar doctrines, emerged during the 2000s in Canada before spreading to other Commonwealth countries. In the United States, the FDB in the eye describes a sovereign citizen as an anti-government extremist who believe, even they, are psychologically and physically reside in this country, but are separate from this country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so fucking convenient. I that fucking when you get love it. I love it. This, hey, would you think Scientologists considered themselves maybe citizens? Because they have like their whole own fucking law. Yeah, they're their own people. This, oh, since I've already interrupted you. Yeah. I looked up weak pedophile. Mm-hmm. Because remember you were like, whatever that is. What the fuck is that? It's not a thing. Exactly. So when you look it up, it really brings up Jared. Yeah. And it says his lawyers made up the diagnosis mm-hmm. and the court was like, that's not a real fucking thing. It's not. We're not going to recognize Because it. what he was trying to say, what the other psychiatrist said was, okay, maybe what he was trying to say was, I'm only into nine through 16 year olds, not really itty bitties, but that's bullshit because there were texts. 
that he had sent where he wanted them younger and younger and younger. And in some of the videos that Russell Taylor did were as young as six years old. Mm -hmm. So that was all bullshit. Yeah. So the sovereign citizen phenomenon is one of the main contemporary sources of pseudo law. It adheres to its ideology belief that courts have no jurisdiction over people and that the use of certain procedures, such as writing specific phrases on bills that they don't want to pay and loopholes can make one immune from government laws and regulations. If I ever get arrested, I'm becoming a sovereign citizen too. This is how I know about this because I I hear it all the time. I know. They also regard most forms of taxation as illegitimate and reject the use of such things as social security numbers, driver's license, and vehicle registrations. Sovereign citizens' arguments have no basis in law and have never succeeded in court. No. (laughs) <laughs> so fucking stupid the movement may appear to uh, people facing financial illegal difficulties or wishing to resist perceived government oppression and looking for a mechanism that will solve their problems uh-huh. as a result it has grown significantly during times of economic or social crisis most schemes promoted by sovereign citizens Involve means to avoid taxes ignore laws eliminate debts or extract money from the government American participant in the movement claim that the United States federal government is illegitimate. They argue the concept of individual sovereignty in a, in a opposition to the idea of federal citizens who they say have unknowingly forfeited their rights by accepting some aspect of federal law. So you gave up mm-hmm. who you are. Yeah. They're foreign. <laughs> <laughs> their foreign allies hold similar beliefs about the government of their own country. The movement can be traced back to American far-right groups like the Posse Cotamus and the Constitutionalist Wing of the Militia Movement. I keep hearing that word more and more the more we do these episodes. Mm-hmm. While the Sovereign Citizen Movement was originally associated with white supremacy and anti-Semitism, it now attracts most of various ethnicities, including a significant number of African Americans, Look at people coming together. The latter sometimes belong to the self-declared Moorish sectors. The majority of sovereign citizens are not violent and may and many will use pseudological tactics and attempts to ignore certain rules, to evade responsibility for debt or to avoid having to pay license fees and traffic tickets. So you can use this for a traffic ticket. But it doesn't work. <laughs> Remember, I just said it doesn't. <laughs> However, the... <laughs> I know. <laughs> However, the methods advocated by the movement are illegal and warrant prosecution. Sovereign citizens notably adhere to the fraudulent schemes promoted by the Redemption A4V movement. Many sovereign citizens have been found guilty of offenses such as tax evasion, hostile possession, forgery, thefts against public officials, bank fraud, or check fraud, as well as various degrees of traffic violations. Two of the most important crackdowns in U.S. authority on sovereign citizenship organizations have been the 1996 case of the Montana Freeman and the 2018 sentence of Judge Bruce Dockett and his associates. Also, because some engage in armed confrontations with law enforcement, the FBI classifies sovereign citizen extremists as domestic terrorists. Terry Nichols, one of the perpetrators of the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, subscribed to a variant of sovereign citizen ideology. In surveys conducted in 2014 and 15, representatives of U.S. law enforcement ranked the risk of terrorists from sovereign citizenship movement higher than the risk of any other group, including Islamic extremists, militias, racial skinheads, neo-Nazis, and radical environmentalists. 
The New South Wales Police Force in Australia has also identified sovereign citizens as a potential threat. Okay. So, lawsuits for Jared. Right. The parent of one of Fogel's victims filed a lawsuit against Fogel for personal injury and emotional distress. Fogel filed a motion arguing that the parents are actually liable for the injuries because the parents fought and abused alcohol in front of the daughter. The fuck? Yep. So his countersuit was that it wasn't his fault because they were fighting and drinking in front of her. So I didn't do shit. On October 24, 2016, Kathleen McLaughlin, Jared's now ex-wife, lawyers filed suit against Subway in Indiana. The suit alleged that Subway violated McLaughlin's privacy and property rights and caused personal injury to McLaughlin by covering up at least three instances of Fogel's illegal behavior that were reported to senior management, including the allegation that Subway's senior vice president of marketing hushed up a 2004 incident in which Fogel propositioned a young girl at a promotional event at a Subway franchise in Las Vegas. The lawsuit was dismissed in October 2017, with the judge writing that the court lacked jurisdiction since their principal business operation were outside of Indiana. So this shit was rampant and everyone mm-hmm. knew about it. Mm-hmm. So potential for other criminal charges. Fogel potentially faced state charges in New York related to victims 13 and number 14. Potential state crimes indicated included statutory rape and or trafficking persons for sexual reasons. Focal's federal plea deal has no standing regarding state charges, so there would be no double jeopardy, and New York opted to pursue a criminal case. So there still are charges that are pending, and they would not be considered double jeopardy because it was federal law that charged him. The state could also file charges against him too. Okay. However, for right now, New York defense attorney and former assistant direct uh, district attorney Matthew Small stated that New York was unlikely to bring state charges since it would have to mount a new investigation and get testimony from those victims. So they would have to start all over again and re-victimize victims number 13 and number 14. Right. Small believed that a prosecutor in New York would really be tone deaf to act victims 13 and 14 to tell their stories yet again let alone testify before another grand jury. Abby Phillip of the Washington Post stated, as a legal matter, Fogel may never be charged with rape or legally be labeled with having committed that crime. Damn. The aftermath. So, the New York Post stated that he royally screwed up. That's how he puts all of this. Okay. And that he now runs four to five miles per day and works out regularly while behind bars, claiming to weigh 180 pounds. Who cares? Like, if you see pictures of him now, (laughs) Uh like, remember how South Park said he had AIDS? Yeah. Okay, well, now it looks like it. (laughs) In the letter dated November 7, 2021, Fogel writing to an unknown recipient, like, he just wrote a letter to the New York Post, said he thinks constantly about those that he let down, especially my family. He went on to say, I really royally screwed up to wind up where I am. I was selfish and entitled. But then he brags about he how he is in the best shape of his life since being in prison. Right. Because people want to know that. Yeah, absolutely. I've run four to five miles every day and I'm the most healthiest and in shape I've ever been in my whole life. I think good for you. We don't have a lot of control over our daily lives in prison, but working out is one of the things I can't control. I currently weigh 180 pounds. I try to avoid too much junk food. I snack on granola bars and protein bars. I really feel physically and mentally good. But he did admit to missing certain small things about life on the outside, such as... 
such such as walking barefoot on carpet, sleeping on nice comfy mattresses, eating with real silverware, and having access to a microwave. He added, all I can do is learn from my mistakes to be a better man when I get released in a few years. I very much look forward to restarting my life and enjoying every moment with my family who have stood by me and supported me. I'm so lucky to have them. I think he means like his parents, his brother, and his sister. Oh, okay. So, personal life. In November 2009, Fogel became engaged to Catherine McLaughlin, the one that I mentioned earlier, a teacher. In January 2018, People Magazine reported that Fogel had gained back 40 pounds when they were together and planned to lose it by the by um, his upcoming wedding. Okay. So that was actually like another subway campaign thing. Fogel and McLaughlin married in August 2010 and had two children, a son and a daughter. In 2013, Fogel had a net worth of $15 million. Holy shit. Yep. On this is why when they charged him the 1.4 million in restitution, yeah. it wasn't a big fucking deal. He had it. On August, How do you get to be a spokesperson. <laughs> on August 19, 2015, following Fogel's appearance in federal court on charges of sex with minors and child pornography, his wife released a statement through her attorney announcing that she would seek a divorce. Like my girl did not wait. She added that she was focus exclusively on the well-being of my children and would have no further comment their divorce was finalized november 16 2015 so literally four months after he was arrested fogel appeared to pay his now ex-wife seven million dollars so half of the 15 went to her seven million holy shit According to court filings, she had traveled out of the state before Fogel's guilty plea and opted to stay in an undeclosed location to protect herself and the children from the media circus surrounding his crimes. Good for her. A three-part documentary, the one I was talking about, um, about Fogel and his crimes is called Jared from, Sub- uh, Jared from Subway, Catching a Monster, and it came out on ID 2023. I think I watched it on Hulu, if I'm not mistaken. So, one last aftermath. Russell Taylor's aftermath, right? Mm-hmm. So I talked about how they offered him 15. The judge said, fuck you, you're getting 25. Yeah. And, but he, however, he was an uncon, he was not charged with any of the crimes with Fogel. Okay. Taylor's conviction was overturned in 2020 after it was found his defense attorney had failed to challenge three charges that were not related to the case. A new trial was set, and in June 2021, Taylor pled guilty to 24 counts of child-producing child sexual abuse material and other offenses. According to United States Attorney's Office, in May 2022, he was sentenced to 27 years in federal prison. (laughs) So his appeal screwed him? Yeah. (laughs) He had 25. He appealed it, and now he got 27. I fucking love that. Because math be mathing. How many times (laughs) am I going to say that shit? Per the U.S. Attorney's Office, when Taylor's original conviction was overturned, he and his ex-wife, Angela Baldwin, were both investigated during the re-examination of evidence. It was found that between 2020, uh, 2011, the fuck year is that? Way in the future. It was found that between 2011 and 2015, Taylor and the wife Baldwin worked together and with other individuals, including Jared Fogel, to produce, possess, and distribute child sexual abuse material. It was also found that Taylor and Baldwin had shared sexually explicit footage and pictures with others and Fogel regarding her own children. These were her kids, not his. Wow. Federal prosecutor Catherine Oliver read statements during Taylor's resentencing from some of the victims of whom are Taylor and Baldwin's relatives 
who said they expect to, to need mental health in the future and medication for the rest of their lives. One victim said she checks for cameras anytime she was in the bathroom at a house that isn't hers. Like, that's how psychologically yeah. it's, it's bad. I would During too. sentencing, Judge Pratt describes the four-year grooming exploitation and molestation of the children as a mutual perversion between Taylor, Baldwin, and Fogel. Taylor told the court at the resentencing he was vile, selfish, self-loading, sorry excuse for a human, but that time in prison had changed him. He said that he had taken advantage of a sexual offender rehabilitation class while incarcerated. Baldwin, the wife, was convicted by a jury in October 2021 of two counts of production of child abuse material and conspiracy to produce child sexual abuse material and of possession of child abuse material. She was sentenced to 33 years in federal prison. Good. There is a real good article on people.com titled Two Sisters Who Were Victimized by Non-Disgraced Subway Spokesman. Jared Fogel, they shared their story. He's a monster. That's the title, by the way. Mm-hmm. Hannah Pratt and Christian Showalter are the stepdaughters of Russell Taylor and daughters of um, Angela Baldwin. The article is really, really good. And them on the show is devastating. Like that three-parter, uh-huh. um, it's super devastating. So again, please watch the three-part documentary film about Fogel and his crimes called Jared from Subway, Catching a Monster, broadcast on Discovery ID. You could find it on HBO Max, Hulu, who are not paid sponsors of this program. And it they was, should. I know. And if you're was out there. Because we watch them so often. I know. As it was, and it, what you're looking for, it was the one that was released March 2023. And that is my case. Nice. Thank you. So, did he ever live in Florida or his wife lived in Florida and she moved up there? Neither. He was down here visiting. He was down here doing, you know, his Jared job, right? Uh-huh. To go to different cities, talk about how it was usually uh, element. It, he mostly catered to childhood obesity because remember, he was a child right. obese. He was up to 400 pounds. Yeah. So, he catered to speaking at all events, but especially um, those events. And the Florida connection is. He was down here. He was with the Sarasota um, reporter. And for four years, she tried desperately to catch him to the detriment of the so, fact that... During those four years, so she lived in Florida and she just yeah. communicated with him. Yeah. Then. And okay. then if you think about it, I mean, like I said, if you watch the show, mm-hmm. um, you'll notice how uh, her and her kids are not in talks. But you can see how this weighed on her, right? Right. Like she was having not just these conversations with him... But in these conversations, she had to agree with him. Right. She had to agree. Like, when he was like, we need to get us, you know, this child, she was like, well, what would, how would we do that? Yeah. Or she would say, um, what would you want him to, him, yeah, the yeah, child, yeah. to do to me? Or vice versa. Like, the psychological effect that this must have had on oh, her, yeah. that for four years, she was just as guilty as him. Yeah. Right? So, it was... That's rough. It's a tough, it's a tough three-parter, mm-hmm. but it's so good because this happened so quickly, right? For 10 years, he was being shoved down our throats. Yeah. And then, boom, one day, you you have the raid, you have the plea, boom, you're sentenced. Right. All within 43 days of each other. That's and cool. Subway just wiped it off the face of the earth like yep. it never happens. Yeah. And that's that. So I a lot because it happens so fast. A lot of people are not aware of the depths of this bullshit. Right, like 
they just think that all that happened was Russell sending him pictures or whatever. Yeah. They don't realize the, the how many times he wanted other kids, how many times he approached other people wanting their kids. It never talks about Russell Taylor and all the shit that he did. And it never even talked about the wife because that just happens. Right. Baldwin just got arrested two years ago. Damn. And this has been going on since 2015. So yeah. for what, six years, she she was not even considered. And then during the resentencing, things started coming out. And that's how they investigated her. So this is a legit spider's web. Mm-hmm. That, and the story needed to be told because so many people knew the truth. So many people knew the truth of what he was doing and what he wanted. And they just covered it up because money works. Right. Right. So, I'm off my soapbox. That's my case. Very yeah. loosely in Florida. Very, very <laughs> loose connection. <laughs> Definitely doing the case I wanted to do now. It doesn't It doesn't <laughs> take much for me to... Oh, it's, one person was from Florida? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Renee, where can you find us? Right here. Bis- <laughs> Duh. Duh. Pod I'm lab. here in the pod lab. <laughs> You can find us on our website, fstcpod.com, where we have links to all of our social media, like Facebook, where currently you just have to search for Freshly Squeezed True Crime if you're going that direction. Uh, Twitter, where FS True Crime. Hey, anybody that works for Twitter, please allow us. <laughs> because here's the thing. we I, I put in the thing, like... It's our business name, blah, blah, blah. They're ignoring all my fucking requests. Well, also, if you work for TikTok, let me know because I have been trying to get back into our TikTok and I can't get in. How come? I don't know, but I cannot get in. Hence the reason. Like emails? Yes. Hence the reason why I have not dropped the TikTok in almost two months. So. Don't go to our TikTok us. till we fix it, I guess, or or figure out how to help us. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll look help, at it for help you. Help me help you. Anyway, on Twitter, we're FS True Crime, but on everything else, we're FSTC Pod. Just go to our website, FSTCPod.com. <laughs> it's easier. And just click on the social media stuff up above. Merch. Buy merch. Merch is there. We have baby onesies. We The, the merch <laughs> company we're using, when you first click on their site, it just shows our t-shirt. I, I don't love their website layout. They should have, like, something that shows everything. But click on all those links on the sides because, like, there's tote bags. And, well, I have a hoodie, of course, because I'm always cold. <laughs> yeah, I wear everywhere now. It's my favorite hoodie because it's it's a little warmer out now. So it's a light hoodie. So I could just bring it's it in a light the restaurants. Hoodie. They have a light hoodie and a heavy hoodie. I'm going to get the heavy hoodie when it's cold. <laughs> and we now have a sponsors page yes where we literally have two links hey you know what we gotta start from somewheres our donation you can donate to paypal or patreon in the future we'll have something for patreon where you guys can get bonuses right now we don't we just appreciate your support we're still trying to raise that fifteen thousand dollars to sue haley and i could be mayor for a day (laughs) that's a joke but but do support us we need better equipment and I think that's it. Do you want to tell us where we can squeeze something? <laughs> and may the juice be with you. That's what it was. Bye. <laughs>